one of the best things I could tell people is knowing yourself well mm. and developing a positive attitude about life. Welcome to the Freedom Nation podcast with Jeff Kickel. On this show, Jeff shares his expertise in financial and retirement planning from a different perspective. Planning for your Freedom Day, which is the first day that you wake up and have enough income or assets and do not have to go to work that day. Learn how to calculate what you need, how to generate income sources, and listen to interviews from others who've done it themselves. Get ready to experience your own Freedom Day. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Freedom Nation podcast for another episode of one of our freedom stories. And this one is going to be a fun one today because I get to interview one of my favorite people on the planet, Marilyn Nichols. Marilyn and I have known each other for probably about 10 years. We networked together. We helped build each other's businesses up. I helped her with some of her planning when it came to her exit from her business and she is off and doing wonderful things in her life. And I wanted to share this story so that you know what it's like when you get beyond Freedom Day. Marilyn, welcome to the show, my friend. Hi there, Jeff. Good to be I'm here. So glad to have you on. I've told your story for years, not telling people the name, but I've told your story mm -hmm. for years because I think you've played life absolutely perfect when it comes to Freedom Day. <laughs> Okay. And, and I really, this is our opportunity to finally tell your story in public. Let's start off. Why don't you tell us how life started for you? And then we'll just take that from there. Oh, okay. You want my history? You want my business go, history? Go, go back to the beginnings. Oh, I was born in Belle Plaine, Iowa. Okay. 72 years ago yesterday. Congratulations and, and happy birthday, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> and we moved from rural Arkansas to Topeka, Kansas, okay. where I grew up. When I was about eight, we moved there. Mm -hmm. And it was a big shift for this country girl. It was a big city to us. <laughs> yeah. And Look at it in life today, all, not so much. <laughs> all 129,000 people. By the way, they still have 129,000 yeah. people there. Yeah. And I grew up there and went to, through regular school and went to college for a couple of years and dropped out. And then I have the lost years where I went out and did other things. And when I got myself back on track, I went back to college and I was living up in Minnesota by them. Okay. So I graduated from a university up there with a degree in art, which I can remember my dad asked me, I don't know what you think you're going to be able to do with a degree in art. I expect if I can get some honors, if I beat a cap key on there and my grade point average is high enough, they won't care. And they never did. <laughs> nope. And I moved from Minnesota back to Texas. Mm -hmm. I had been in Texas during the lost years and married a man named David and we had divorced. And one whole one day he called me up in Minnesota and sparks flew and I moved back to Texas to be with him. And guess what, folks? It did not work. <laughs> So we broke up on friendly terms and I went on to marry a very nice man um, who, Roger, and moved into with his house with his two children. 
who were teenagers. And they were the nicest children, teenagers you've ever met. But I was a stepmom with 17-year-old teenagers. <laughs> oh, my Lord. And they had never, ever been required to do any kind of chores. Mm -hmm. And I came in and I said, I don't think so. I am not your maid. I'll cook but you're going to clean up. <laughs> and so that's how it went. Unfortunately, their father and my husband didn't live very long. He had cancer and he passed away. And I had a wonder, another wonderful relationship with a man named Dave. And he also passed away of ALS. So then I got back together with my first husband. Hmm. And that, that went reasonably well for 13 years. And then he also passed away. So I've been through that. Mm -hmm. And I had started a business while I was with David. Mm -hmm. I had worked at Schwab a few years before that. And I've been in the corporate world and a couple other businesses. And I loved working for Schwab. Mm -hmm. If the downturn in the economy hadn't happened, I'd say, because it worked my brain, the other side of my brain from art really mm -hmm. hard. Yep. It's stuff to learn. And I was very proud of myself that I'd learned it and I was excelling. But a downturn's a downturn, and eventually yeah. I got caught in the last wave of layoffs and ended up bouncing around a little bit. And then I decided, I'm going to try and do what I really love. Mm -hmm. I'm going to open business, and I have always had a knack for training dogs. <laughs> I'm going to be a dog trainer. And my goodness, my stepmother, who was still alive, my father had passed away. She goes, you're going to have to go out there and sell an awful lot of insurance to be able to afford to be a dog trainer. And um, I opened the business the day after she died. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't want to fight with her. Is it hard to open a business? Mm -hmm. Not as hard as people think. Yeah. I don't think it's yeah. as hard as they think. There are hard stretches. Mm -hmm. I had to tell David at one point, I don't care how unhappy you are with your job. You cannot quit. Yeah. I am making zero. I have been making zero. There's, a, there's another downturn. And in a down economy, people don't spend, they don't have money to spend on dog training. Mm -hmm. And it is the last thing on their minds. Yeah. They don't care if little Fido bites mailman, so long as they can eat. I don't care either. So I had to make it through some really lean times, mm -hmm. but I had uh, great advice from my business coach, Stan. Can I say his last name? Sure. Stan. Dan Tyler, he helped me through the whole thing. He held my hand in a gruff way all the way through the I ain't making no money period. And he goes, I'm really tired of you saying that. Why don't we figure out how to make some Let's money? Let's make some money. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. And I started boarding dogs as well as training. I didn't think yeah. I would love boarding dogs, but I did. And I was very busy. Mm -hmm. I had a genuinely... Loyal clientele, lovely people, well, great and, dogs. And let's just stop for a second. This wasn't boarding dogs. This was basically dogs getting to live with Marilyn for a week. <laughs> on yeah. Her, yeah, they weren't shoved into cages or anything like that. They were just basically living with mm -hmm. Marilyn for a week, which they were little spoiled dogs to begin with, and they were more spoiled mm -hmm. by the time they left. Yeah. Happy puppy, tiny dog boarding. Yeah. They were in crates at night to keep them all yeah. safe and separate sure. but during the daytime they lived on my couch and my chairs and the whole house was fenced to keep them where they needed to be and of course I had a great fenced backyard and everybody now it got really busy at a certain point I remember I had 21 dogs in my house <laughs> and not everybody chose to get along so there would be the group of the first group would go out would be the teeny weeny ones who couldn't hold the bladder very long. 
and they'd all come in. And then the medium-sized dogs that are still little would come in. And then I had a few dogs that grandfathered in because they were my clients from training that were bigger dogs, some mm -hmm. of them quite large, and they would go out. So it was three. And then, of course, my dogs, because yeah. I also had seven dogs at that yeah. time. So, hello, it was and two cats. It was chaos, yeah. but it was organized chaos. And I loved my job. Yeah. I loved what I did. I loved promoting it. For those of you who want to know how to promote a business at that time, networking lunches were everything. Yep. And they worked extraordinarily well for me. Mm -hmm. Most people are in there trying to sell you on some kind of product or service mm -hmm. that you may or is very not particularly necessary, maybe. It, nah, it sounds good, but I don't have to do that. But when your dog is being on your floor and somebody stands up in a networking meeting and says, I can fix that. Yeah. You hire him. Yeah. And I had the best response to my, oh, I loved. okay, one, I am not afraid of public speaking, as you can probably tell. And... <laughs> I love it. And I didn't mind at all getting up and doing my little promo speech, which is supposed to be about 30 seconds. Yep. And I at one time did it in several different languages. And the gist of it, I was saying in whatever language, your dog doesn't speak Spanish or French or Farsi or Klingon. Yeah. Your dog speaks dog. However, I can translate. Yeah. And I'd say that part in English. So it was a lot of fun. And you don't sell to the room, you're selling to their friends. And of course, I got a lot of referrals, but my direct sales to the room were very high. Yeah. And so it was a perfect environment for me. Yeah. And quite frankly, I made a very good living. Yeah. Doing it. Well, and I, and I think probably the biggest advice that I can give to somebody, because Marilyn and I were growing our businesses at the very same mm -hmm. time, I think the best advice that I ever got was, just be consistent. You might not want to go to that network meeting that but day, you're going. but that's your job. Yeah, yeah. Your job is to be out there mm -hmm. promoting and growing your business. And mm -hmm. then that allows you to do the fun stuff that you really do enjoy doing, mm -hmm. but you got to do that. And, and you can't be hidden in a room. No. And you got to be out meeting people. It really helps if you decide at the door, I like people. Mm. Even if you're not feeling like you like people yeah. and go in there with a really positive attitude and the same rules that apply to anything, be polite, be mm. nice, be friendly, smile, don't have your resting bitch face on, just don't. And it just worked really well. Follow yeah. up on all your leads and your phone is always on. That's one thing I really enjoy in retirement is... <laughs> I don't, I don't have, have to answer, to answer my answer. phone. If I don't recognize the number, I'm not going to do it. You might as well leave a message. Yeah. Then I'll decide whether I want to listen to your message. Going Go back to those lean time, a lot of businesses oh. and having a, having a, a co-working space, I see a lot of businesses come through and mm -hmm. a lot of them fall apart. What made it different for you? What kept you going when things were lean and things were tough and mm -hmm. you didn't want to do it anymore? What were those things that just kept you going? When the first one happened, I had just opened in 2006. By the way, you and I have known each other longer than 10 years. Probably about 11 or 12. Yeah. Maybe 15. When did you start going to networking groups? Uh, I so at? I came down from Dallas in 2011. So We've known I, each other since then. Yeah. Yeah. Because so I pretty much after I, about a year after that, I was mm -hmm. launching my business. So yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's probably 2012 or ish. 
Yeah, yeah. So I opened my business October 1st, 2006, the day after my stepmother's funeral mm-hmm. up in Minnesota. And there's no, no real coincidence with that. I was planning opening the business. And the process of picking the name of your business is so important. Yeah. It has to actually say what you do. Yep. And I've run into many people in networking meetings that have names that mean Nothing. Nothing. Like this one person who had this interesting business and it was called the eye of the diamond. Nobody knew what that meant. I told her, why don't you tell them that you help people somehow in the name of your business, tell them that you help them through innovative ways to get in stuff in touch with their inner self. Yeah. Figure it out. Yeah. But that's And that happened over and over. So I worked on my name. I had gone to, oh, I need to back up. I went to networking businesses four businesses that I worked for before I opened my own. So I learned a lot from that process. I was thinking about what to name a dog business. First, I had to decide whether it was going to be mobile or if I was going to buy a facility or have a facility at my house. And I said, I don't want to do that. It was going to be mobile. So I bought a very efficient car. The first mm-hmm. one I had in my business was a uh, Hyundai Elantra. Mm-hmm. Got really pretty good mileage, not as good as my Toyota Prius, which gets great mileage, but uh, which I bought up. And I thought about the business and it was like, okay, I want all dogs to be happy, happy dogs, good dog. All those. And finally I said, I want them all to be happy puppies. <laughs> and then I thought, well, is it Happy Puppy Academy? No, that says I have a business building. So I want it to and happy puppy tutoring is what came out. And I went, that's the one. Yeah. And so I, na- I feel like I named my business very appropriately. Well, and, and, I, when- and knowing your process, it wasn't just, you could have said happy puppy dog training, not all, you didn't really necessarily train the dogs as much as you train the owners. So I trained tutoring owners. the owners in a lot of cases. And that's what I meant is I can yeah. translate dog for you and you to the dog. I can help you communicate with your dog. Yes, that's probably all that's wrong is that you're not communicating effectively. Mm. And I remember when I first started out, I didn't like pit bulls. Mm. I didn't like them at all. And I got one little, one little gorgeous little Papillon was my first client in 2006. And then I got a pit bull and I'm like, okay, if I turn down this job, I need this job. I need the money. Yeah. Okay. I'll go train a pit bull. And I trained a pit bull and I started learning about pit bulls. But then I sat down and thought, if I turn down pit bulls, I could go out of business. Yeah. And I decided, I know how to deal with aggressive dogs. Mm-hmm. I know how to fix it. I'm going to train whatever comes. And for nine months, I didn't get anything other than pit bulls and pit bull mixes that were mostly aggressive mm-hmm. and dangerous. Yeah. And I was younger. And I helped a whole lot of pit bulls stay in their homes because they're lovely dogs. Yeah. If raised right and trained right, they are caring and loving and they'll babysit your children. They don't have the nickname, the nanny dog for nothing. Mm-hmm. And anybody going to steal your dog when your pit bulls sit, your kid while your pit bulls sitting next to him. So I got to love them. And I actually made my bones in my business training aggressive dogs. I was one mm-hmm. of the ones that would be recommended to train humanely. without any pain. I don't hit animals, right? Train the dogs with you to be better dogs and be very successful. at it. So that's what I did. And then further on in my business, uh, I remember when the lean time came, the first lean time came just a few months after I opened. 
because the downturn happened in the spring of 2007 and it continued until 2008 and it was lean. There was, yeah, it was difficult. Uh, But the way I stayed in business was I believed Mm. that I, I knew I could do the job. Yeah. And I was learning that I could really sell it too. Mm-hmm. To find mm-hmm. out that's one of your forte is standing up in front of people and interesting them in what you do. Yeah. And is really helpful. It, it will be difficult for someone who can't project, who can't communicate. Yeah. Good communication skills. I often said that working in corporate America and having to deal with people mm-hmm. every day, which is not what most dog trainers do. Yeah. or artists they don't deal with people most dog trainers that i've met have excuse my language piss poor communication skills uh-huh. with other people they know what they know and they'll show you what they know mm-hmm. but they're off-putting and like within themselves and they don't reach out to you and for any other dog trainer i would say remember that dog's gonna like you because you love dogs and dogs know it but mm-hmm. that's not your job yeah your they, job they don't write the check they do not pay you. Your job is that person. Sure. And you've got to help the person. So I got through that time and it started to pick up in 08 and it just went really well. And then there was another lull that almost took me out of business. Hmm. I remember from end of March until August, I made no money. Hmm. And so right when school hits and also dog training is cyclical yeah that in at the beginning of the school year you got no business mm-hmm. and over holidays you have almost no business on dog training however that's when people want to board their dogs so yeah that ap- adaptation of your business to say hey i'm gonna i'm also gonna board dogs mm-hmm. when they're when you don't have right. dog dog boarding business you end up with dog training business in most cases yeah it it balanced out so beautifully your listeners your watchers viewers can do the math 21 dogs boarding in my house at 45 dollars a night yeah each yeah except for a couple that i gave a little break because they had two or three dogs Mm -hmm. but other than that's how much i was making a day yeah it's not bad money anywhere that's not even bad money in corporate america it's pretty good money yeah to work from home and get to play with dogs all day (laughs) Yeah. And, and love on them. And I have so many wonderful memories. These dogs were part of my life. Mm. And when I hear that one of them's passed away, I honestly cry. I do. It's just, it's hard, but it, it, that's what happens in life. So I went on and I trained, I had my business open. Oh, I forgot to add in my childhood. I trained a St. Bernard puppy. He was our dog. Mm-hmm. And that's when I learned I had already shown our collie and one, which was great. And I had to train her a little bit and she mm-hmm. was already grown and, you know, mature, much more difficult to train a, an adult dog. It's not impossible. It's with the right treats and the right attitude. Believe me, they want to learn whatever it is that gets that piece of food. Mm-hmm. So when I trained Herman, I knew I had to, we got this St. Bernard because my dad wanted one. And then he gave him away and broke my heart when he figured out he was too big. But I trained him every single day. Mm -hmm. And I took what turns out to be one of the dumbest breeds on the planet and taught him tricks like you wouldn't believe. And the grand culmination of that is I showed him. And when they want, when you go up by the judge, you'll see on, on, 
videos, you'll see people, it's called stacking your dog. You place their feet front and back, and then you lift up their head and their tail. So they look really proud. I had seen that. I knew that they did that. I work really hard on something. And then I showed it off for the first time in the ring. Hmm. I ran around, came in front of the, the uh, judge, and I told my dog, Herman, I said, stand. And he planted his back feet, took a half step forward, which would give him that proud chest up, lifted his tail, lifted his head, and looked right at the judge. And the judge went, what? <laughs> oh, my Oh my God. And she, he goes, how'd you do that? And I said, I was scared. They didn't know oh, any I, better. <laughs> I, I taught him to, he goes, do it again. Made me run the ring again, come in front of me. And the whole time I'm saying to Herman, you better do it again. By God, you really better. And we get up there and I tell him, oh, and also I had no treats on me. Hmm. I was not treating my dog. And so I get up there and I say, Herman, stand. And he did exactly the same thing. Planted the back feet, took a half step forward, threw up his chest, up comes the tail, and he looks right at the judge. And we won reserve winner of breed when my dog was not even filled out yet. But I learned from that I had a knack for dog training. And then I started training around my neighborhood. I trained dogs when I was a teenager. I also house set for pets, including little Freddie, the black poodle who would never come out from under the bed when I was there. And wanted to bite me. I trained him. I worked with him too. By the way, he never thawed me. But I knew from my history that I had it. Yeah. Yeah. You you had the skill set and not anybody, you didn't really have training to do this. It's Mm -hmm. just, you were. Not really. I'm self-taught. Yeah. And uh, then Cesar Milan came on the scene and I watched him and I thought, he trains just like I do. Mm -hmm. I do that. I do that. And I didn't make as much money as he did, but I did fine <laughs> and didn't have a TV show. Although one of my good friends and associates from networking wanted me to be on TV so bad mm-hmm. and we just never did it. I was self-conscious or whatever, but I could, and I couldn't now, I think. Yeah. Anyway, so that's what got me through the bad parts is knowing I loved it, yep. knowing I was good at it, knowing it would come around. And then if not, I would figure out some way to bump it up. Yeah. And Stan was with me the whole way. And then three years before I retired, I started talking to Stan about when, when do I think I'll retire? Yeah. Because I was over the social security age. I was 66, 67 years old. You and I I worked out the money part of it that we knew, Mm -hmm. okay, you were going to be fine there. And it was really, Mm -hmm. I remember it from my perspective, really three years prior to you deciding that was it, we already knew you were there. And then it was Mm -hmm. just... When is it going to be? When was that time for you? What I wanted to do was spend some time working through the emotional process of retiring. Yeah. I think this is something that a lot of people miss. However, my dad was a very well-renowned psychiatrist, and his specialty was the, he ran, he was the director of a, uh, the, one of the five divisions at the Minard Foundation, and his was Applied Industrial Psychiatry, yeah. How People Work. Mm-hmm. how they work well and why they fail. And one, he wrote many articles on what happens to men, especially when they retire. Mm-hmm. Their t- major taproot of their life, what fed them all their life was their job. Yep. Now look at me. What fed me was my job. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do to feed myself mm-hmm. when I cut off that route? Yeah. So I was trying to make sure I was ready, mm-hmm. that I wouldn't regret it that I wouldn't miss it too badly and that I had something I was going to go to. 
Mm-hmm. Now, COVID hit. Yep. And that hurried, I probably, I might've worked for three or four more years mm-hmm. if COVID had not hit because I became very uncomfortable going in anyone's home. I'm an older woman. I have heart disease. I don't want to die. Yeah. And so I was training them a couple of lessons outside at their house mm-hmm. and then the others on Zoom, okay. which worked okay, but it wasn't that rewarding for me. Yeah. And then I got together with my friend, Mike. And he lived in Kansas and we started visiting and then he moved out here. Mm-hmm. And while COVID was in full spate, we didn't go hardly anywhere and the traffic didn't bother us. Yeah. But he had been in several near fatal car accidents and he has PTSD for traffic, just like a combat veteran would have. And it really freaks him out. And I've seen him do meltdowns and it was hard. So we started looking at first just idly for a place to live mm-hmm. that wasn't Austin. And we looked all over and then Mike pulled this one house up as a joke because it had several things that we, he didn't want. And that I had said, I didn't want which is an upstairs mm-hmm. and things like that. I took one look and fell in love. I was like, Oh, oh I want this house. It was, had been completely remodeled on the inside. It was fresh and new. It's actually built 1996. And of course there's always problems that you find in your house, but my house is filled with light and it's pretty and we bought, I bought it yeah. and we moved three years ago on the 18th here, right before snowmageddon, yep. which was interesting to find out your heaters don't well work well enough. That was lots of fun. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You spend a lot of times with all the covers on you when it's only 51 degrees in your warmest part of your house. Yes. Right? We moved in here and I ordered a outbuilding mm. and it was finally delivered. We spent a lot of time trying to figure out exactly what I needed. And it's my studio now. And in there I paint and I sculpt and I have two friends who come out and work with me. One's kind of a student Mm -hmm. and uh, he's learning a lot about sculpture. I had started writing books, Mm -hmm. working on my first novel in 2019. So when I retired at midnight on 2021, I, I was already deeply involved in writing novels. At that time it was novel. And (laughs) yeah. And so when we moved out here, I just continued my habits of writing in the morning, which is when I had the energy for it, Mm -hmm. sculpting a couple of days a week in the morning and then running around and doing whatever I want. I have taking singing lessons, vocal coaching lessons from someone I met in networking for now um, seven years, six, seven years. And I can sing now. And I like it very much. I love the sound of my, it's very a melodious voice. I have fun. I will say that after I got out here in retirement, my production of books speeded up. Mm-hmm. I finished three, got them. We went through the whole editing process. I have three more in various stages of editing, mm-hmm. but the first three books in my series, Illuminated Path, were put to be published, were on Kindle and Amazon as of tomorrow, my nice. 72nd birthday. And I personally think that is very Grandma Moses of me. I'm just like, yes, ma'am, I love it. And uh, they'll go live within the next 48 hours. Wonderful. And then I hope everybody will look for Marilyn Clemmy Nichols mm-hmm. and the Illuminated Path. The first book is about a woman who's given the opportunity to live her life over at, from childhood on with all her memories in fa- intact. The second book is about their continued path as they figure out what it is God wants them to do. And it's not a religious book at all. She's just given this opportunity. She goes to heaven a couple of times. 
and all kinds of things happen. She she blackmails a priest and she's not supposed to endanger her immortal soul, but she had to do that. And she tries to save Kennedy and she meets her first love again and they actually get together and stay together because she's an old soul and a young body and she knows a lot. And they eventually find out that their mission, which they wouldn't tell her, the heavenly angels wouldn't tell her because that would interfere with her free will. She finally figures out it is to try to defeat Satan, who right. comes back to the earth due to a prophecy that involves her family. And they do win. I won't give it away too much, but it, the winning comes in a most unexpected way. And it was just a treat to write. And I write because I love telling stories. You can't tell I love telling stories, can you? No. Okay. (laughs) And I love telling stories. I hope a lot of people read my stories so that they will have fun. They're real fun reads. And they're sexy, too. And there's lots of things. And there's telepathy. There's dragons. There's teleportation. There's bad people and good people. And, oh, and aliens. So there you go. What more could you want? Although the aliens pretty much come in the next three books, the, the next trilogy. So how am I doing? I'm doing great. You're filling your life. And this is what I tell people. And I've told people this over the years. I've said after working with thousands of clients over 30 mm-hmm. years, I've met some of the oldest 60-year-olds and the youngest 90-year-olds. And you've always had that young, yeah, you've just, you've always had that youth to you whenever. And I think you just keep striving to keep yourself going. And I think that's the most important part of living that retirement or living that freedom day Mm -hmm. lifestyle is you've got to fill it with something. You had filled it prior to this with a work, with a business or a job, and you've got to fill that void. You can't just Mm -hmm. not do it. And I, I, was on a podcast last night. The guy was, he's in the, the health insurance business. And he was, we got to talking about clients and all this. And he said, you know, because I can't tell you how many people that are like postal workers and stuff like that. And that's their whole identity. And then they retire and it's just going to hang out and watch my stories all day. You can only do that so many times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My normal schedule is, first of all, I have to tell Mike, no, I'm not going to go anywhere because I'm writing every day. Cause yeah. that, if I, stand up to him. My high energy is in the morning for writing. His high energy is for getting things done is too, but he's just going to have to wait because I've discovered, you have to discover things about yourself. Mm -hmm. If I don't do it in the morning, I won't do it. Yeah. And it's worth it to me to hold my ground and do that. But I guess one of the best things I could tell people is knowing yourself well Mm. and developing a positive attitude about life are essential to happiness. Mm -hmm. I am probably one of the most positive people. Absolutely. Yep. And I'll share a little more about myself. I credit 40 years of sobriety for that Mm -hmm. and actively working the steps of AA. Yeah. I am sober. I love being sober. Mm -hmm. I don't need to alter my brain in any way. It works just fine the way it is. And it's been that way pretty much throughout my sobriety. I remember Mm. when I was in college and finishing up, I was in acting and I had gotten offered, I'd won a part in this play. And then I realized I can't do it because 
I'm working full time while going to school full time. I can't actually don't have time to come rehearse. I'm at work, right? So I ended up uh, being the house manager, which was fine. And at the cast party at the end, I went, even though I was in my thirties and they were all young kids and maybe a couple of 20 year olds. And they're all getting a little high or a little drunk. And one of the guys turns to me and he goes, are you really not drinking? I said, no, I don't drink. And I don't need any pot either. And he goes, I think you're having the best time. And I said, well, I know I am. And, and I tomorrow morning, I can guarantee you I'm going to have a much better time. I will feel great tomorrow. Life will be good for me. And just having that attitude, which there's been a lot of trials and yeah. tribulations in my life. There's been a lot of sadness. Way, way more than most people. Most people would have curled up in a corner with all you had been through. I mean, even I th- since I've known you all that you've been through. So. I, I have to admit it. It was hard. It was yeah. hard. After Roger passed away, I thought, now I've seen the worst life's going to throw at me. And yeah. damn, was I wrong. Yep. To have Dave have to go through a death by ALS. Yeah. Horrible. And I did learn some important things people ought to know is it don't expect to get any of your needs met when you're taking care of a dying spouse. That's not your job. Your job is to take care of your dying spouse. And they're not going to give you the Hollywood stuff from TV. They're not giving you, I love you. I'm so glad you're taking care of me. They're going to go, I don't feel good. I, because it's so difficult for them. And getting through that was tough. I will admit one of the best purchases I ever made was long-term in, long-term insurance mm-hmm. on both myself and my partner. I still yep. have it. Yep. So when I need it, I will be able to stay in my house mm-hmm. with my dogs until yep. I die because yep. it will help pay for caregivers. We got this caregiver named Lynn, who's a real character, mm-hmm. but she mm-hmm. saved my life. Yep. She came seven days a week and took care of David and I worked. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought I would have a hard time keeping my business while David was sick. Yep. Truth is... I grew my business while David was sick. I doubled my business while David was sick. And if people want to try to wonder and think how hard it is to do something like that, she had him eight hours a day. I had him 16 hours a day and didn't sleep. Mm -hmm. So was it difficult? Yes. Was it worth it? Yes. Could I have left if I had wanted to? No, I'm not built like that's not me. And I'm, grateful to what I put in place and what life had to offer me. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, for the last 40 years, 40 and a half now, I've had a fine life, mm-hmm. a good life. I know a lot of good people. I did a lot of good in the world. I think with my dog training, I helped a lot of people. I helped a lot of dogs mm-hmm. and I retired well. Mm-hmm. I'm financially secure. Mm-hmm. which is, thank you. You're brilliant. <laughs> you helped a lot. I took care of my own investing up until when I met yep. you. Yep. And I do bad, badly. Oh, you did extremely well, actually. <laughs> um, having worked at Schwab Health. Yeah, that was the end. And, and it's kind of the way your brain works too. Most artists are not real good with figures and you just are, which I mm-hmm. think helped also with your business too, is you understood mm-hmm. money and figures and everything else. And profit and loss and how to yep. keep your expenses low and your profits high. Everything I did with my business was designed from the get-go to have the least overhead. Yep. With running a business where I went to them, mm-hmm. I had 
no building I had to maintain, no utilities I had to maintain other than my home, which is any a given anyway. You had to have I had an yeah. efficient car. I had a yep. very efficient car. And then I got the Toyota and that was, <laughs> it still gets 43 to 44 miles to the gallon. Amazing. And all of that, not to brag too much, but I thought about it. I really yeah. put thought into it and I just, I did well and I'm happy. Like and, I said, and today you still fill your life with all of that. You could just sit there and wither on the vine. I just, I don't think that would ever be you, but no. I, I think the, the lesson that I want to impart, or I wanted to impart with this interview and, and this interview mm -hmm. is going to be part, it'll be uh, a component of the last chapter of the book that's coming out, the retirement trap. And mm -hmm. oh, cool. it, I really wanted to share Marilyn's story because so many people decide I want to retire early or I want to get out of work early, but they don't put in place that step, that three-year step that you took. Now, it doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily have to take three years and it may have no. taken longer. It's just mm -hmm. COVID made that decision for you, but you thought through it all and said, what are the things that make me happy? And for mm -hmm. you, it wasn't just one thing. It wasn't, I have this one hobby and that's it. You have a whole bunch of different things that you enjoy and you put together a schedule for yourself. Okay. A couple of days a week I do pottery and sculpting. Okay, great. Other days I write. Okay. That's fine. Other days we garden and we do all. So it's filling oh, yeah. your life with those things that I believe are the most important thing. And it's what keeps you young and it keeps you going mm -hmm. for many more years. Cause I'm not giving up on you. You're not going anywhere on me for a long time. Oh no. no did you, do you haven't told them that I've always thought I was going to live to be 103, right? Yeah. Yeah. I well, still I intend to live to be 103. I and know. I know people say that's silly, but well, if you don't think you're going to live very long, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. You're going to accidentally live a long time. Mm -hmm. Maybe not. Probably going to be pretty miserable. But. <laughs> yeah. When I was thinking about retiring, I had this one client out in Bertram, which people who don't know, that's a long way from Austin. Yeah. And she was paying me a fine amount of money to come out to her house. And I loved working with her. But on the way back, usually that day happened to be the day I was talking to Stan, hmm. my business coach. And we actually talked twice a week. Yeah. During that period. And he would hold my hand about not making enough money. And then when I started making money, he would hold my hand about that. And we, I went through all the things about making sure my business money and my other finances were never mingled. Mm -hmm. Never. They were always at a different bank than my personal banking. And I always, after I learned a few things, I didn't keep a very high balance in there. Mm -hmm to protect myself from it. When you're working with dogs, there's always a chance a dog is sure. going to hurt somebody or kill them. Yeah. Maybe me, most likely me, but it might be one of the kids in the house where I'm working. It might, and that I had insurance to cover that. And I also didn't keep a lot of money that could be seized in my mm -hmm. bank account because sure. it's just self-protection. I need money to live. And he just held my hand through all of that. And we'd have these wonderful conversations. I remember when I was out in Bertram was when I was really looking at all the aspects of retirement. Mm -hmm. And if I had stayed in Austin, I probably would have still boarded dogs for a very yeah. long time. It's real good passive income. Mm -hmm. It's easy for me because I love dogs and I understand them. It wouldn't be easy for somebody who didn't, mm -hmm. but it would have been easy for me. But since I moved out here to the country, I decided, no, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't have the things that you talked about, my art, my vocal lessons, but most 
mostly my writing, Mm. I think I would not be as happy because I have an imagination, which I'm finding out is rather maybe different from other people's. It's I live there a lot. (laughs) And this gives me a way of taking all those stories and all that energy that's in my head Mm. that wants to be expressed. And I sit down and I weave stories Mm. and I don't know what I'm going to write before I write it. I know how it's going to start. And I may have an I, I may have an idea of how it's going to end for that book, but in between, I get to let the story take me where it's going to go, and I might not even have thought of that. But then, when I get to the point, a certain point in the story, all of a sudden, I realize, oh, that character would do this, mm-hmm. or what if we had this happen? And it's just so much fun—the yeah. twists and turns and everything you put into it. It's just and. It also helps that I have the kind of imagination where I see my various segments hmm. in my head. Yeah. I see the people doing what they're doing. You I just see have to, you, you just have to write it and describe what you're seeing in your head. Yeah. And so it's easy. Crafting it isn't with all yeah. the plot lines and stuff, but describing every one of my stories is written to be seen, hmm. to really be fully engaging. And if God was going to grant me a, a really big favor. He would have someone who listens to this take an interest yeah. and look at my books to be a series or be a series of movies because that's where they would really shine. Yeah, they really would. And we have the same characters going through, like the same characters to a certain extent are in the seventh book that I'm writing now that were in the first. Mm. And we picked up characters all along the way, and it's getting to be this universe that I get to live in and then I get to share it with people. And I'm in love with writing. I really am. Mm. And I got to tell people, I didn't think I could write a book. Yeah. Just like everybody else. I did not think I could write a book. I could write a short story and I excelled in that part, creative writing in college, but I couldn't get it further. Mm -hmm. And then I finally learned the secret. The secret of writing (laughs) is this. You have a schedule. You're going to sit down and you write, you open up your tablet or your MacBook Pro or whatever you're writing on your notebook, whatever you're writing on, mm-hmm. and a couple of paragraphs that you wrote the last time you were there, and you say to yourself, what happens next? Mm-hmm. That's it. The secret of writing is writing. Just sit down there and write something. Tell the story. Mm-hmm. Don't think, oh, I can't do it. Don't get too complicated. Just look at what you wrote and figure out what the next thing should happen. I, I can't remember who the writer was. It was a famous novelist. I remember watching on an interview one time and, and he mm-hmm. said the, the most profound thing to me ever. Yeah. The pr- most profound thing. He said, the act of being a successful writer is attaching one's butt to a seat and starting writing. That's absolutely it. I don't know if I'll be a success, but yep. that's it. You got to put in the time. You have to sit there and write a story. The books are done. So one last question before we end, and I ask okay. this of everybody on the show, what is your definition of freedom? Being able to live a life that is fulfilling to me mm-hmm. and those involved with me, to be able to do what I want and take care of those I love and be happy. Mm-hmm. And I am. Excellent. <laughs> So thank you very much for sharing your thank story you. today with the audience. Uh, folks, as soon as her books are out, I will make sure those are attached to the show notes page. I've actually had a little bit of a 
preview of these over the years. She shared them with me. So I will tell you, it's a great story and you really want to, if you enjoy a good story, this is a great read. And so pick up the books whenever you can. Thank y'all for joining us and, and sharing in this story. And we will see you back here the next time we do these twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So make sure you subscribe to the channel. Make sure you give us an upvote and share this with somebody who would love this message. So thanks a lot. And we'll see you here the very next time. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Nation podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and all the major channels. Wherever you're listening, please subscribe to the channel and leave a rating and review. If you have friends and family that could benefit from their own Freedom Day, please share with them. Finally, join Freedom Nation by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.